Well, it is my distinct privilege uh, and pleasure uh, to really welcome and introduce our the man who's going to bring the word to us. And I know he doesn't really need an introduction, but Jason, I just want to say thank you very much. Jason Stubblefield, if you're a guest with us this morning, he is an intern, pastoral intern here at Palm Vista. And uh, he's a friend. He's been, he and his wife, Judith Ann, have been here now for several years. He's a dear friend. He's a, he's a godly man. And uh, it's really my joy to introduce him. And it's really my joy to say, Jason, Come on up here and share God's word with us. So can we welcome Jason? Thank you. Thanks, brother. I love you. Great. Well, hey, in light of these announcements, anniversaries, baby dedication, I would like to welcome back in church, would like you to welcome back Matt and Sarah Kunze. They're freshly back from their honeymoon. Newlyweds, glad you guys are here. All right, well, hello again. (laughs) It's a privilege for me to be preaching to you this morning. Uh, I rarely get the opportunity to do this, and so when I do, man, I'm just really excited, and I really treasure these times. And uh, for our guests, as, as Ricky mentioned, we normally just go through uh, books of the Bible as we preach, but this morning as we're just finishing James, getting ready to transition into a, a new series, we decided just to highlight one passage from the, the book of Psalms. So that's what I'm going to be preaching on this morning. It's Psalm 121. So if you could turn in your Bible with me, and let's read it together. Verse 1, I lift my eyes, lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you. You're going out and you're coming in from this time forth forevermore. Pray with me. Father, I pray my mouth would speak your truth this morning. And I pray that you would care for and minister to and build faith in our church through this passage, Lord. I pray you would would empower me to preach and that your word preached would have its glorious effect on our souls. God, would you feed your sheep this morning? I pray, Father, that, that all honor and praise and glory would be directed to you. And we pray these things together as a church in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, a number of years ago, <clears throat> there was a captain who commanded a ship that would, that would sail from Liverpool, England, all the way to New York. And on, on one of his voyages, this captain happened to have all of his family on board with him. One night on the voyage, When all passengers were quietly asleep, a sudden, violent gust of wind arose and came sweeping over the ocean waters and crashing into the ship. The ship was helplessly flipped on its side and everything in it just tumbled and crashed. All passengers on board awoke and became immediately aware of their imminent peril. Everyone was awake. Everyone on the ship was uneasy. Everyone just got out of their bed, got dressed, And just prepared for the worst. Now, this captain had his little girl on board. And she was was only eight years old. And she too, along with everyone else on the ship, got out and, and was just scared and frightened and wondering what was happening. And so, as she was she was wondering what was happening, she saw a deck officer walk by. And she stopped him. 
She said, sir, sir, what's the matter? He told her, a violent squall had struck the ship and flipped it on its side. Is my father on deck, she asked. Yes, your father's on deck, he replied. The little girl then dropped herself back on her pillow and without a fear, in a few moments, was sleeping in spite of the winds and the waves. You see, upon hearing that her father was on deck, that he was in command, this little girl knew that all would be okay. No matter what was happening to the ship, no matter what her circumstances were, this girl knew everything would be okay. You know why? Because she was confident in her father's help. She was confident in her father's help. And church, I believe this morning, God wants you and wants us to together be confident in God's help. If you look at your notes at the top, you'll see that this, that is what this message is all about. That is God's burden for us. Be confident in God's help. Okay? But, but see, the psalmist, he doesn't want us to just be confident in God's help for no reason. Right? He wants us to know why we can be confident. Isn't that great? I mean, he, he doesn't leave us hanging or wondering. I mean, his reasons are, are stated plainly in the text. Reason number one, because he is God. Reason number two, because he promises to help us. This leads to our first point. We can be confident in God's help because he promises, because he is God. Point one, because he is God. So now, if we don't know who God is, then the reason because he is God is going to mean very little to us, isn't it? I mean, you know, if you're looking for a job and someone comes to you and says, hey, there's somebody who can help, but I don't really know who that person is, then you're probably not going to think this person's a good lead. And you're probably not going to send him your resume. You're not going to put much hope in him. Why? Because you don't know who this person is. And so, therefore, you don't know how this person can really help you. Or if you're suffering from injury and sickness or relational conflict and someone tells you, hey, there's someone who can help you, but hey, I'm not sure who that person is, then you're probably not going to look to that person for help. You're not going to go to him. You don't know who he is. And since you don't know who he is, you don't know how he can help you. And folks, the same is true if we don't know who God is. If we don't know who God is, then we won't look to God for help. And the man here described in Psalm 121 that we're looking at, he knows who God is. This is a man on a journey to Jerusalem, it, which is it's in the hills, it's about 2,700 feet up. And he's going to attend one of the three great feasts prescribed by God throughout the year. So, as he lifts his eyes towards the hills, towards where his journey is going to end, he knows that he will face difficulty and danger along the way. And he knows that he will need help to successfully arrive. And so, he reminds himself that God will help him. He is a man that knows who God is. And so, he's a man confident in God's help. And folks, God, too, wants us to be confident in his help. So if we're to do this, we must, like the psalmist, first know who God is. Okay? So you know how you find out who God is? Look in your Bible, right? So let's look back down. Psalm 121. Look with me in our text. Let's explore. Starting with verse 2b. Verse 2b. The Lord who made heaven... And earth. God, see, is the maker of heaven and earth. What does that mean? What does that mean that God is the maker of heaven and earth? It means this. God made all the heavens. God made all the stars, all the planets, all the galaxies, all the hills, all the mountains, all the plants, all the animals, all that is in the sea, all six billion plus people. And he made it all out of nothing, and all by the word of his mouth. He spoke, God spoke, and all creation came into being. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all their hosts by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded it, and it stood forth. Psalm 33. 
He is the almighty maker. He is the creator of all things. The song of the 24 elders found in Revelation 4 affirms this truth. As together they sing, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive all glory, all honor, and all power. For you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. You see, nothing, nothing in creation, nothing in creation can withstand what the creator wills. His creator-like power cannot be hindered. He told the seas where to stop. He flooded the universe with light. He directs the storm wherever he wills. He set the stars in the heavens, like how he put lights on the Christmas tree. His help cannot be restricted. I can't stop his help. You can't stop his help. Friends, nothing in all creation can stop the creator's help. It is unstoppable, all-powerful, and it is unbeatable. And, friends, it is yours. If you look to him for it, it is yours. And guess what else? The creator, who our God is, he doesn't sleep. Look at verse 4b. God doesn't sleep. He will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, this, this is pretty hard for us to imagine. Right? I mean, we kind of don't have a category for this because one-third of our lives are spent sleeping. We're out. Right? Yet, God never sleeps. God never sleeps. Every night, after my nine-month-old daughter, Marilyn, goes to sleep, Judith Ann and I turn on our baby video monitor to help us watch over Marilyn because we want to we help her get a good night's sleep. But guess what? Judith Ann and I are humans too, and, and we get tired. And we eventually just roll over, eyes turned away from the monitor, and go to sleep because we're tired, right? We too must close our eyes. But you see, friends, God's eyes are always seeing. His monitor is never off. He is always watching. And for those of us who have difficulty sleeping at night, we must not think that this too is the case with God when we read that he does not sleep. He never struggles with sleep. He doesn't even have a category for sleep. There is no sleep to be found on his schedule, day after day, night after night. God is sound awake. When your eyes are closed, his are open. When your eyes are open, his are open. He never misses out on anything in our lives. He never goes to bed. He never puts on pajamas. He never turns off the light. He never sets an alarm. I can't wake him up. You can't wake him up. Friends, nothing in all creation can wake God up. He is already up, and he has always been up, and he wants us to look up. And trust in his unsleeping help. Nor does God slumber, as we just mentioned. Verse 3b and 4. He who keeps you will not slumber. Look at that with me, friends. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, what does this mean? What does it mean that God doesn't slumber? It means, it means God doesn't take siestas. Okay? God, God doesn't ever doze off. All right? Th- this is amazing. <clears throat> Some of you, you know, I mean, if you haven't had your coffee yet, you might be about to doze off, but this is not true of God. <clears throat> Does not slumber also means that God is not inactive, lazy, or slothful, as the book of Proverbs describes those who slumber. He never takes a break. He never slacks on what he's doing. God is never unwilling to work, and he's never lacking in effort. I mean, he's, he's always 100% at all times. He never procrastinates, never drags his feet. God never postpones taking action on anything. Nor does his mind ever wander away. That happens to me all the time. His mind never wanders away. Nothing is ever neglected under his watch. Nothing is ever forgotten by God. He has an ever-attentive awareness and an ever-remembering memory. His labor is always sustained and it is always steadfast. Do you need help, friend? Look to the God. Turn your eyes to the God who does. He does not slumber. 
And finally, who is God? Who is God that we see in this passage? God is the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Lord. Look with me at verse 2a. My help comes from the Lord. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. Verse 7a, the Lord will keep you from all evil. Verse 8a, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. God is the Lord. Now, why, why is this significant in terms of God's help? Why is this significant? Well, Lord, in its original Hebrew language, is Yahweh. And you know what this means? This means that the help is from none other than the great I am. The unchanging, eternal, self-existent living God who's always present to act on behalf of all of his people. He is the God that appeared and spoke to Moses in the burning bush. He is the God that delivered Israel from the oppressive rule of the Egyptians, bringing them out by signs and wonders like sending horrific plagues on Pharaoh in Egypt, parting the Red Sea, feeding his people bread from heaven. He appeared to Moses again on Mount Sinai as their covenant-keeping God, as their faithful God. He guided his people through the desert, through the Jordan River, and repeatedly, time and time again, he helped them conquer great nations, all before bringing them to this wonderful land that he promised them, the same land, friends, that this Jewish pilgrim here is looking at. So yeah, this guy's confident. He's trusting in the Lord. He's trusting in the Almighty Maker. He's trusting in the God who doesn't sleep, the God who doesn't slumber. He is Yahweh. He is Israel's keeper, as verse 4a says. Behold, he who keeps Israel. This means he is their God who protects them and who guides them and who blesses them. Study the history of this tiny country, Israel, which today is, in some areas, as narrow as 20 miles across. It's surrounded by inveterate enemies. It's far from being consistently obedient to God. And yet, God continually keeps and watches over them. Why? Not because of their goodness or greatness. It's not because of that. It's because of God's faithfulness. He is Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, and he remains faithful to his covenant promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So these things are informing this pilgrim's mind as he is out on this journey and heading to Jerusalem. He is knowing that he can be confident in God because he knows who God is. So, we must, we must know who God is if we're to be confident in his help. We must study his attributes and know what he is like. All too often, all too often, we can just make up in our minds what we think God is like. We can just make things up. Things like, you know, God doesn't really know what I'm going through. God, God probably doesn't hear my prayers. He's, he's, he's paying attention, attention to those more important than me, those more faithful than me. I mean, he's, he's powerful, but probably not powerful enough to heal me. Probably not powerful enough to use me in advancing his kingdom purposes. Probably not powerful enough to deliver me from that particular sin that I commit so often. Folks, we must know what is true about our God. It, it will greatly affect our confidence in his help. So I ask you this morning, do, do you know God? Do you know who God is? Or, or are you just making things up about him? Now, as I said, we, we, must, we, must only, uh, we must not only know who God is if we're to be confident in his help, but we also must know what God does. We also must know what God does. This leads to our second reason. 
Because God promises to help you, we can be confident in His help. Friend, God promises to help you. So here's what he does. Point E. Look at verse 7b. He will keep your life. The Lord, who covenanted to keep Israel, also bound himself covenantally to faithfully and continually watch over all who belong to him. God, the almighty maker of heaven and earth, the ever-attentive, always tireless one, who neither sleeps nor slumbers, Yahweh, the unchanging, everlasting, great I am, the unfailing keeper of all Israel, gets personal with us, friends. It goes from corporate to individual keeping. He gets personal with us. He keeps our life. I hear this... This pilgrim is thinking, hey, if God has kept Israel as a distinct people group and nation for over 4,000 years, then surely he is able to keep my life as I journey to Jerusalem. And church, the same is true for you. God promises to keep your life. In its original language, the word that is used here for life is speaking about the soul. It's speaking about the soul. This is an all-encompassing promise of protection for you. For if we can be confident in our eternal good, then friends, surely, surely we can be confident in our earthly good. If we can be confident that God will keep our souls, then surely we can be confident that all things that happen to us in this life happen to us for our good. As Paul says in Romans 8.28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. Friends, there is is much comfort. There is so much comfort to be derived here. In the midst of your circumstances, in the midst of your sin, your joys and your sorrows, your sufferings, as you journey through this life, you can know, you can believe, and you can lift up your face without fear and know that you have a God that keeps you. Psalm 23 tells us that God is our shepherd and that just as a shepherd keeps his sheep, so too does God keep us. He he makes you lie down in green pastures. He leads you beside still waters. He restores your soul. This is almighty God making this promise, not, not a mere man. He backs it up. He is your rock. He is your shield. He is your stronghold. He is your fortress. And friends, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Says David in Psalm 2. Friends, oh God, help us believe you. Help us believe you. You are the keeper of our souls. And he wants us to know this, so he doesn't stop here. He keeps going. He goes on to tell us how he, can, how he keeps us. Look at verse 3a. He will not let your foot be moved. He will not let your foot be moved. You know, this pilgrim does not necessarily have the smoothest pass ahead of him. Right? I mean, he's headed to the hills, which are synonymous for mountains in the original language. You guys ever walked on a mountain? You don't want to take the wrong step. Right? One slip, and, and this guy could be in some real danger. Okay? And, and the same is true for us, friends. The same is true for us. Along the way, along our journey through life, we... We will cross some dangerous paths and one slip of the foot could be deadly for us. It could be deadly for us. Now, when the verb moved that's here in this passage that you guys see, when the verb moved is coupled with feet or foot, it, it, always, denotes, it always denotes a moving or slipping in times of trouble. One wrong step for this guy and all can be wrong. And friends, we're so vulnerable to wrong steps. 
This step could be as small as a wrong thought, like thinking, hey, I'm more righteous than another, or that it's always the other person's fault, or that I know what is best for me, or that life is all about me, or that one more look won't hurt anything, or that God doesn't really care about me. These are are wrong steps. And, And this step could be as big as wrong behavior, friends, like slandering others or withholding love from your spouse or your children or or purchasing what we can't afford or worshiping the idols of our hearts like food, leisure, wealth, and power. Friends, we we are all in danger of this, every single one of us. None of us are excluded from slipping. The pathways of life are treacherous. So when God says, he will not let your foot be moved, this means this. Means this. He will be your solid ground. He will cause you to stand. He will be your firm foundation. He will be your protected pathway. Just as he helped Israel pass through the Red Sea and the Jordan River on foot without slipping, so too, believer, will he help you pass through this life without your foot being moved. Commenting on this verse, Charles Spurgeon writes, Though the paths of life are dangerous and difficult, yet we shall stand fast. For Jehovah will not permit our feet to slide, and if he will not suffer it, neither will we. So friends, let us look to God to help our feet not be moved. For every right step comes potential for a wrong step. So let us sing with the psalmist in Psalm 66, 8 and 9. Bless our God, O peoples. Sound his praise. He who keeps us in life and does not allow our foot to slip. Great. Another another aspect of him keeping us is that he promises to be the shade on your right hand. Okay, look at verse 5b. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. What does that mean? Well, have you ever been outside in the sun and just held out your right hand? Where does the shade appear when you do that? Yeah, it's on the ground, isn't it? It's your shadow. It's your shadow. You see, this promise means that God is a shadow of protection for you. This is the promise that God's protective presence is always with you. I mean, just like our shadows, what a thoughtful promise for this traveling pilgrim walking through the sun. He's constantly seeing his shadow and thus constantly aware that God is with him to help him and to protect him. And friends, God promises the same is true for us, doesn't he? The same is true for us. Just as your shadow is always with you, so too is God. We don't, we don't have to be like Peter Pan always chasing down his shadow. We don't have to chase down God for help. He's always with us. He doesn't depart from us. He is as near us as our shadow. And he's not just any kind of shade, right? What does the text say? He's the shade where? At your right hand. You see... This right hand is very significant in terms of God's protection. When, when doing battle, a man who would approach another guy he was doing battle with would have his shield in his left hand and he'd have his weapon of choice in his right hand. Right? Thus, the right hand would be extremely important to protect, both because it would be the hand more targeted by the enemy since it's the most dangerous, it can hurt the enemy the most, and... Because it's also the most vulnerable, right? Because it's not protected. You see, it's strong because it holds the weapon. And it's weak because it has no protection. So for God to be the shade on your right hand means this, friend, that he will both protect you in your greatest areas of strength and he will protect you in your greatest areas of weakness. This is amazing coverage. I mean, his coverage is always upon us. It's always backing us up. It's always complete. It's comprehensive across the board, and it's certain. Do you believe that he's the shade at your right hand? 
In the times of weakness, do you believe that? In the times of strength, do you believe that? It is God being your protection forever. Can you sing along with Psalm 91.1? I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Do you agree with Psalm 109.31? That he stands at the right hand of the needy one to save him from those who condemn his soul to death. That's our God. Friends, we must be needy ones if we are to know such keeping. We must seek to be kept in the shadow of God's wings. We must cry out to him for protection. And if, if we won't, we are not going to be confident that he can help us. And his promises for you keep going. <laughs> right? Look at verse Six. He promises to not let the sun strike you by day, nor the moon by night. This verse continues to explain the promise of God's unceasing protection, as we just read. To a Jewish pilgrim walking through the desert day and night, friends, this is a glorious promise of protection. Can you imagine? Sunscreen did not exist back then. There is not much to protect him from the sun's harmful rays, which many people in the Middle East suffered from. I mean, this heat was extremely hot, and I'm talking hotter than LeBron James heat, folks. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, though. Even today, I've read that if you visit Israel, you must stay very hydrated and make sure that you're not overexposed to the sun because heat stroke is a constant threat to people there. So, such protection from the sun described here cannot be taken lightly. Also, back then, many people believed that too much exposure to the moon at night, Al mentioned this a couple weeks ago, it, they believed that it would kind of cause you to go crazy, right? That's where the term lunacy comes from. So, this promise from God to not let the sun strike the pilgrim by day, nor the moon by night... Again, it just speaks of God's complete protection. He will not let the pilgrim's body suffer from being sunburnt or having a heat stroke, nor will he let the pilgrim's mind suffer from going crazy. He's so kind. He's so personal. And he's powerful. Nothing can stop him from doing this. He will keep him. And though, though friends, we may not be walking through deserts physically or literally, all of us experience times when we feel as we're wandering through a spiritual desert. We may feel, hey, God has abandoned us. We may feel we got burned. We may feel overheated with sin. We may feel like we're going crazy at times. We may feel that God no longer protects us, that he's no longer for us, and that he no longer knows what we need. How is, how is your walk with the Lord going? Does it seem dry? Does it seem barren, void of God? Are you in a desert? Have you lost the passion for knowing this great God? For, for obeying this great God? Have you lost the passion for, for prayer, for evangelism, for being joyful in your sufferings and trials, for trusting in God who's mighty to save I believe this morning God wants you to know that he's with you, friend. and He knows where you are. He knows where you are better than anybody else. He knows what you need. He is providing protection. And he is calling for you to look to him and be confident of that. Whatever terrain you find yourself in this morning, he wants you to know he has not abandoned you. He wants you to know that his help has not discontinued. It is not out of service. It is always around, always at work, always accessible, and it's always keeping you both day and night, as we read here in this text, both day and night. God, friends, God also promises to keep us from all evil. Right? Look at verse 7a. The Lord will keep you from all evil. All evil. 
Now, as, as this pilgrim that we read about in the psalm is, is approaching Jerusalem, this promise would be a very relevant one for him. Here's why. See, the mountains, the hills that he sees, you know what these are homes to? These are homes to outlaws and robbers. They're just hiding up there where people can't see them. And they're just waiting for this pilgrim to cross through, to pass through, so they can attack him and they can seize him. They can take all his goods and they can leave him for dead. That's the plan. So, the pilgrim had to be on watch carefully for these enemies, knowing that at any moment, evil could come upon him. And friends, the same is true for us as we go through this life. Evil can quickly come upon us, seize us, steal our joy, and leave us for dead. You see, we too face many prospects of evil. It may not be from the outlaws and robbers hiding in the hills, but you know what it's from? It's from the sinful thoughts and words hiding in our hearts. Crouching, lurking, camouflaged, impostured to strike at any moment. We're just waiting for others to cross us. Waiting for God to cross us. And out they come in full force. This is, this is so true for me. When things, when things don't go my way, as we just read about in the book of James, when things don't go my way, man, I'm not a happy camper. I mean, anger is right there, just ready to seethe out, silently or loudly. Right? It's just, it's just waiting to come and just seize me, take over my happiness in God, and kill that. It's the nature of sin. Thankfully, God forgives me and gives me grace to repent of my sin and gives me grace to change. And he will do the same thing for you. Are you asking God for help with this? Do you feel, as Jose preached last Sunday, do you feel that you are prone to wonder? Do you feel the weight of sin on your heart? It's there, and it's evil. And not only must we be watchful of it, we must also cry out to God for help to deal biblically with it. And friends, evil is not also only within us. Okay, when we talk about all evil, it's not only the evil in our hearts. Okay, we're talking about evil on the outside as well. There's a real enemy out there. And he is out to destroy our souls, to destroy our joy in God, to destroy our faith in God, to destroy families who love God, and destroy churches who love God. From the beginning, this has been his unrelenting pursuit, and today he prowls around like a roaring lion, waiting to devour you. As 1 Peter 5.8 says, this is, this is Satan and the legion of demons that accompany him, and this too is evil we must ask God to keep us from. For only God is able to keep us from such evil. And he can. He, he, he can. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hands. As Paul says in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? Oh, this is our help, friends. This is God, our help. And finally, verse 8. God promises to keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Look at verse 8 with me. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. Isn't that glorious? Forevermore. This means that God will keep this pilgrim both now as he begins this journey and to his journey's end, which is Jerusalem, and forevermore. He's going to see it all the way through, friends. So, as this pilgrim lifts his eyes to the hills, he knows God will help him get there from start to finish. That's why this pilgrim, as I mentioned earlier, this, this, he's going up to Jerusalem. Okay? It's in the hills. It's in the mountains. All right? 
That's why this psalm, Psalm 121 that we're reading about, it's actually part of a larger group of psalms called the Songs of Ascents, which are 15 psalms that were written and sung by these pilgrims as they made their way up to Jerusalem, as they ascended to Jerusalem for these feasts that God prescribed for them. And so this song was no doubt one of the first sung along the journey as the pilgrim lifted his eyes to the hills and began his ascent to Jerusalem. He wanted to remind himself that God would help him finish this journey. God would help him. And as Christians, friends, we too, we too are on an ascent. And it may not be to the earthly city of Jerusalem. Instead, we are on a a spiritual ascent to the heavenly city of Jerusalem. And just as this pilgrim lifts up his eyes to the hills of Jerusalem and is reminded where his help comes from, friends, we too must lift up our eyes to the hill of Golgotha and be reminded where our help comes from. Because folks, it's, it's what happened there on that hill that secures all these promises we just read about. It is what happened there on that hill that helps us to know that everything we just heard is true. It is what happened there on that hill that ensures God's unstoppable creator-like power will help you, that the maker of heaven and earth loves you. It is what happened there on that hill that ensures God will not neglect you, that God will always watch over you, that God tirelessly knows you, tirelessly cares for you, that God's mind will never wander away from you, that his monitor on you is never turned off. It is what happened there on that hill that ensures Yahweh, the great I am, is actively ready and willing to help you. Friends, it is what happened there on that hill that ensures your foot will not be moved, that you will stand on solid ground, that you will not slip or take a wrong turn. It's what happened, it's what happened there on that hill that ensures that God is your shade on your right hand, that he will always be with you, that he will never leave or forsake you, that he is your refuge, he is your relief, he protects you in times of strength, he protects you in times of weakness, he covers your life with protection. Friends, it's what happened there on that hill that ensures he will not allow the sun to strike you by day, nor the moon by night, that he will protect you from the deserts of despair, that he will protect you from doubting his fatherly love, that he loudly communicates, I will not abandon you. It's what happened there, church, on that hill that ensures he will keep you from all evil, that he will protect you from sin, he will forgive your sin, that he will give you victory over sin, that he conquered death, he conquered Satan, he conquered evil once and for all. Church, it's what, it's what happened there on that hill that ensures you will be blessed all of your days in everything you do, both now and forevermore. Do you know Do you know what happened on that hill? It's where God the Son became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It is where God the Son, who knew no sin, became sin for us. It is where God the Son bore our sins in his body while hanging on a tree. Friends, it's where God the Son suffered the wrath of God the Father that we fully deserve. It's where God the Son, the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power, was silent as a lamb being taken off, be slaughtered. Friends, It's where God the Son laid down His life for us. That that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but you'll have everlasting life. So let me ask you something before closing. In your journey through this life, 
Have you ever looked to this hill for help? Have you ever embraced God the Son's sin-atoning, death-defeating, everlasting life-giving help? Oh, friend, if you have not, then all this other help we talked about today is out of your reach. If you have not, then friend, friend, you're, you're not ascending to heaven. But rather, you are descending to hell. Look, my journey and your journey through this life will eventually come to an end, right? I mean, we, we're going to die. Along with everybody else. And, and I, I'm telling you today that your journey will not end in heaven if you have not turned from your sins and trusted in Christ for forgiveness of those sins. God's wrath abides on you. The gates of hell are opened wide for you. This, this is the penalty. This is the penalty for sin. And... You can either receive this penalty yourself or you can trust in the one who received it for you on that hill on the cross. You and I will never know greater help. We won't. We won't. You're not going to ever know greater help. Many of you have, have, have gone through this life and you've, you've gone through many years and you don't know greater help than that. I'm 28. Lord willing, I have a long way to go. I'm not going to know greater help than that. It just doesn't exist. So, so please hear my heart. I, if you don't know Christ, I, I, I plead with you. Embrace that help. Embrace Jesus. Run to Jesus and cry out to Jesus, friends. He will help you. He will help you. And for those of us who are believers in Christ, you may be, you may be wondering today, saying to yourself, Jason, you know, this is, these are good words I've heard about God's help. Good stuff. I, thanks for sharing. But, but you know what? I don't, I don't really see his help in my life. I mean... Where, where was God when I lost my health? Where was God? Where was God's help when I lost my home? Where was, where was God's help when I lost my son? Where was, where was God's help when I, I fell into sin? I slipped and fell. Where was, where was God's help when I wandered through spiritual deserts all those years? Where was God's help when the storms of life came? Where was God's help when I was so horribly sinned against? And where was God's help when I so horribly sinned against others? Where was God's help when I was laid off? Where was God's help when my father died? Where was God's help when I was trusting him for something good and no good came from it? Where was God's help when... Friends, we can all just fill in the blank, can't we? I'll tell you where his help was. It was there, on that hill. He was hanging on a blood-stained cross. So that where we needed help most, reconciliation to God, sinful man, holy God, would be taken care of. And so, on your journey through life, as you ascend to heaven, facing trials of various kinds along the way, suffering from sin, death, and other results of the fall along the way, remember this, friends, lift up your eyes, Look to the hill upon which Jesus suffered, bled, and died for you. Look to the hill where Jesus, the one who is the author and perfecter of your faith, loudly shouts, be confident in God's help.
Oh God, thank you for, for your kindness, for your mercy, for your goodness in our lives. Thank you for how you help us. Thank you for your word, Lord. Your word is so sweet, it's so good, and it's so true. You are our help, Father. May we go confidently. In Christ's name, amen. 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 Church, we have, we have just received God's grace and his mercy and his blessing. And I, I do think that it's appropriate that we stand together and simply, and simply say to the Lord in our hearts, you can come, rise to your feet, please. Just say to the Lord in our hearts, just as I lead us in this closing prayer, thanking him for his goodness, just say to the Lord this, thank you, Lord, that you have met my greatest needs. So let's just, let's thank him for that. I just want to give us a moment to do that. We're not in a hurry. But would you bow your head? Jason has served us so well. You may be a believer like most of us have been who has complained. Would you take a moment to just thank him for meeting your greatest need? It's a personal time between you and the Lord. You may be brand new to this kind of church service or perhaps to church. It's been a while. Or perhaps to a church service that's meaningful. That's beyond tradition. And maybe, just maybe, God is opening your eyes to something brand new. Would you take a moment and respond to God? Not to man. Jason spoke the word of God. God was speaking. And do business with God. I'm just going to be quiet for a moment and let you do that. Sing it. Let's sing it together.